You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric here. Excited to have Ray Connor to talk about all things uh, political and being a lawyer and all sorts of good stuff. We haven't talked in a while, so I'm excited to catch up with her. Thanks for listening to the Zag. Let's get to it. All right, Ray, where exactly are you in the world today? Right now, I am in Fresno, California, in the Central Valley. And how long have you been in Fresno? So I've been here for a couple years. Uh, last time we chatted, I was still in the Central Valley, but I was a little mm-hmm. bit further down. I was down in Bakersfield and have moved up to Fresno now. So. And what do people not understand about Fresno? People don't understand that Fresno actually is quite a big city. Um, So the school district here is actually one of the largest in the state. Um, And when people think of the Central Valley, they often think of um, a lot of unincorporated communities, which is also true. But Fresno um, is, you know, they're doing a lot of development here. And, um, and yeah, people don't necessarily think of that when they think of the Central Valley. So there's still a lot of the same issues that um, you know, that impact like communities within the Central Valley that happen here, but um, that is, it's quite a large city. Mm-hmm. And did you have ties there or did work bring you there? So I moved here because I started uh, working for the ACLU of Northern California. Um, and uh, I wanted to continue my work in the Central Valley. Uh, I was previously working for the Center on Race, Poverty, and the Environment only doing environmental justice advocacy and litigation there. Um, and once I got here, I realized uh, the amount of work that, that um, you know, needed to be done. Um, and, and I wanted to be able to continue to work um, with rural communities and in unincorporated communities and to be able to expand some of my work. Um, and, and so I stayed here in the Central Valley in order to do that. And then once you started with the ACLU, uh, do you get assigned cases right away? Do you like hop onto things that other people are working on? What what actually transpires once you start working there? So our uh, so the ACLU of Northern California is made up of a couple different offices, and so we have our office in San Francisco, and we also have our office in the Central Valley, um, and then we also uh, have our policy arm that is in Sacramento. And uh, so it depends on kind of what your uh, role is. And so my role as a general staff attorney means that uh, there was there was definitely work that we were already doing here in the Central Valley, but it was also, um, you know, doing a lot of listening um, when I got here and and really making sure that I was connecting with the community and um, bringing cases and working on advocacy that was responsive to community needs. Um, And so I do a lot of uh, free speech, free expression uh, work. I do some education um, work here locally. And then, um, you know, uh, like other issues like surrounding pesticides and how that's impacting communities. Um, I've done some work with gang injunctions. I've done um, some work to, to you know, look at uh, trying to fix issues within the police department, some voting rights issues. So um, a little bit of everything. 
Mm-hmm. I think what people really appreciate and admire about the ACLU is oftentimes you're you're defending uh, the rights of people that aren't great, uh, for lack of a better phrase. <laughs> if you had if you had cases where yeah you you are really pushing uh, the protection of free speech, but the folks who are actually speaking or not folks you would ever want to associate with? How does that work? Yeah. I I mean, there's definitely been, you know, um, so, you know, within my work at the ACLU, um, you know, it's understood that everyone has, um, you know, as long as the speech that um, someone is uh, participating in is protected, that that is, you know, protected speech under the First Amendment. Um, And, you know, sometimes that speech comes from individuals or comes from groups that, um, that aren't necessarily the people who I would, um, who I would represent in other capacities, but, um, you know, in order for us to, um, you know, in order, in order for us to advance certain, um, um, in order for us to advance, like, you know, free speech and, and make sure that, um, we are protecting, um, the rights of individuals in this, in this country, um, you know, that happens from time to time. Um, I have, you know, sometimes, um, you know, wondered, you know, kind of where that line, um, is drawn in the sand. And, um, I, I try to, as much as possible, um, you know, work on issues that allow for me to advance racial justice and to help marginalized communities. Um, because I feel that that is really important, especially in a place like the Central Valley. Um, but, you know, often, um, you know, especially since the change in administration, um, that, you know, it can be somewhat controversial. And um, it is a line that I often have to consider and think about and, and think strategically about how to move forward and, and do it in a way that is not going to harm communities of color and, and marginalized communities. Yeah. And then some of the cases you've worked on for communities of color have involved schools, like you said, right? And school mm-hmm. districts, what, what kind of things have popped up that you've had a chance to work on? Yeah. So, um, well, right next to Fresno, there's a a place called Clovis, California. And um, this particular school district in Clovis, Clovis Unified, they had a dress code that um, basically uh, drew a a line in the sand for how students um, would have to dress based on whether or not they were a girl student or a boy student. Um, And that is, you know, directly in violation of California education code. um, And it it does not create a safe and welcoming environment for all students, in particular, uh, you know, transgender students. And um, I was able to work with some of our community partners like GSA. um, And we uh, changed this dress code policy that had been in place for decades, um, and actually that the ACLU had challenged, um, you know, several several decades ago to try to get this school district to change their dress code policy, um, and it actually came to us because there was um, a black li- 
a black biracial student who um, the school district said, you know, he couldn't wear his hair, um, you know, um, in an afro because it would violate the school district policies. Um, and, you know, when he tried to apply for a cultural waiver, they told uh, the student that, you know, he could like he didn't qualify for that cultural waiver because he was black. So that that was a problem. We recognized that we recognized that the school district was, uh, you know, making arbitrary and discretionary decisions based on this um, dress code. Um, and so, you know, along with you know, uh, students and and parents and community members, uh, we got the school district to change this, um, you know, very outdated dress code that they were uh, trying very, very hard not to change. So, um, I mean, I've, I've worked on that. I've worked on issues with, um, you know, students who put content in their yearbook. They were yearbook staff members, um, um, talking about Black Lives Matter and, and their principal removed the Black Lives Matter content from their yearbook. Um, and so um, we, I represented those students and helped them to get that reinstated into their yearbook. Um, you know, the issues really vary. I mean, and in Fresno Unified, um, we, you know, I wrote a, a UCP complaint, which is a a formal complaint to the school district and, um, you know, the school district uh, in that complaint was regarding um, millions of dollars that Fresno Unified was misallocating that was supposed to be for high need students. So those are low income foster youth and English learner students. And, um, and in that complaint, um, we stated that, you know, the school district had to use certain funds in order to help those students. They didn't want to. So we appealed that to the California Department of Education and the California Department of Education agreed with me and with the ACLU and um, the school district had to reallocate millions of funds back to high need students. Um, and it was one of the first times that the um, that the California Department of Education also, um, you know, made clear that a school district couldn't just you know, use all funds for um, police, school police as well. So, wow, those are amazing. That's good stuff. Did you know you always wanted to be a lawyer, or did this come to you a little bit later in in life or in college? Yeah, I, you know, I actually didn't always want to be a lawyer. Um, I knew that I wanted to do some you know, civil rights and social justice work, um, but I realized after my own um, kind of interactions with the law um, in a in a way that happened kind of earlier in my life that there was a need for individuals who are going to be um, you know either a representing um, clients who might not necessarily know their rights or uh, individuals who were going to be part of like a policy system um, for for them to have an understanding and 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 kind of feel like what it means to actually do that social justice work in a way that is that's personal to them. Um, and so I wanted to be a part of that. And I actually thought that I was only going to do policy work. Um, 
but then I recognize the, you know, importance of, you know, um, actually looking at this from a way that would allow me to um, work on litigation and then also um, do some policy advocacy change as well. Nice. I'm, I'm glad you're out there doing it. Uh, when we come back, I want to ask you a few more questions about Fresno and then and wrap up with some of your thoughts about what's going on nationally. Uh, thanks for listening to The Zag. We'll be right back. So, Ray, as far as Fresno goes politically, how would you describe where they are on the spectrum, progressive to conservative? Yeah, uh, so I would say that Fresno has pockets of progressive individuals, but it's, you know, it's hard to kind of describe just as um, a monolith, right? Um, Because I, I think that there are different communities and within those communities, there's a spectrum of what people would even consider progressive and what people would consider conservative. Um, I found actually that, you know, um, that within the black community um, there, you know, there are definitely people who are, um, you know, kind of progressive. um, And then there is also black people who are kind of conservative. And, um, and I think that, that, um, that tension can sometimes be very difficult um, for, you know, for people, for black people who consider themselves progressive in the Central Valley. And I actually, um, you know, because of that, I actually started um, um, thinking about ways that I could impact that change um, through some work, you know, outside of um, my ACLU work in in the Central Valley. Um, and so I've been, you know, outside of um, the ACLU, I also um, run a nonprofit called Tree Together Restoring Economic Empowerment. And um, we do a bunch of community work in the DMV area where we um, allow for Well, we empower black and brown students to lead um, environmental decision making change. Um, And, you know, based on some of the conversations that I've had with people in the Fresno area, in particular, um, black progressive um, people, it seems like, you know, that that gap is there because of this wider spectrum of what it means to be progressive, what it means to be conservative, and who are the Black uh, people who are kind of leading that decision-making work in the Central Valley. And then last question on this topic, when you think about the elections in 2018 and the conservative politicians who are elected in California, and they're definitely under scrutiny right now for a lot of different reasons, what are the messages that you feel like would resonate most with folks who would consider voting a different way than they did in 2016 and not voting conservative. Is it an economic message? Is it a resistance message? What do you think would fire people up the most? Yeah, I think it, you know, I think it just, um, it depends. Like, I think that um, obviously the messaging around the resistance, um, you know, it, it, it definitely, um, was helpful for certain organizations to, to use that kind of messaging. I think that, um, you know, it's important though, um, for people to kind of just be authentic to what they actually think, um, 
they are going to change. And um, I think that the messaging just needs to be around what what people actually think that they can bring to the table. So, you know, um, if it's if it's resisting, um, then absolutely. If it's um, reforming, then that, you know, should be the messaging as well. But I think that um, it's important to be clear uh, about what it is, what the strategy is um, that people are intending to carry out and that the messaging, um, you know, has that clear and concise um, strategy um, and vision moving forward. Because there's so many things that can be, that can be, you know, addressed at this point that, I mean, you know, like two years ago, we would have never thought that some of, some of the issues that are um, on the table now would even be what we would be fighting against right now. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're out there. I'm glad you're fighting. Uh, Hopefully we'll have you down here in LA soon. Uh, Thanks for joining us. And thanks to everyone for listening to the Zag. You can catch all episodes. We're over 20, all sorts of good conversations with NLC alums. Uh, So check those out in the iTunes store. Subscribe there, Google Play, SoundCloud. You can find us anywhere. Stay tuned. We'll have a few more Zag episodes next week before the holidays start. Until then, take care.